Next time you stop at a gas station, think of it as a $100 a month tax cut, or maybe a $100 a month raise. That is a verbatim suggestion from CNN, which goes on to report, quote, a $1 decrease in gas prices equals about $125 billion a year in savings for U.S. households, or more than $10 billion a month. That's equal to about a half of a percentage point on the nation's gross domestic product, the broadest measure of economic activity, and that's just a direct benefit. Lower diesel prices bring down the cost of transportation for all goods, including food. If you add in the indirect benefits, it's real money. Real money in our pockets, all because the price of gas has gone down on Joe Biden's watch. Thanks, Joe. Except, of course, that it hasn't. (laughs) It just hasn't. It's just not true. The price of gas has increased substantially on Joe Biden's watch. It's up almost 65% since the day he took office. And that's with him draining the National Strategic Petroleum Reserve through the midterm elections. After that, it's going to go right back up again. This article from CNN, this very article by, what's his name? Chris Isidore. This would make a North Korean news anchor blush. Pravda, at the height of the Cold War, would think twice about running this kind of ridiculous propaganda. Da, comrade, that is too much. You have gone too far, comrade Isidore. And yet CNN has absolutely no shame. In the old Soviet Union, at least Pravda admitted that it was the Communist Party paper. In the U.S., our allegedly intrepid and independent press runs this kind of nonsense on a daily basis. The only difference is that CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the networks and on and on, the entire establishment media apparatus doesn't even have the decency of the Soviets to admit that they're party organs whose only job it is to carry water for politicians. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment Friday is from Ksync74, who says, when someone tells you their four-year-old is trans, that is roughly the equivalent to someone with a vegetarian cat. It's not difficult to figure out who is making the decisions. So very true. We got to protect ourselves from all this craziness. When you want to protect your wealth, I really recommend you check out Alto IRA. Right now, go to altoira.com slash Michael. Cryptocurrency may represent the future of money. It's one of the most exciting investment opportunities to come around for some time. But what about taxes? Womp womp. You know, the, the Biden administration is about to send 87,000 new IRS agents, some of whom carry guns to make, make sure that you get shaken down by your ankles. With Alto Crypto IRA, you can avoid or defer the taxes when trading crypto like Bitcoin. Alto offers alternative investment opportunities such as private companies, crypto funds, real estate, venture capital, and more. Alto Crypto IRA in particular is a great way to start investing. You can get involved with a tax advantage retirement account. No commissions, no paperwork. Make an account in just a few minutes. Invest with as little as 10 bucks. No setup charges. It's absolutely phenomenal. Open an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as 10 bucks right now. Go to altoira.com slash Michael. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com slash Michael. Start investing in cryptocurrency today. Altoira.com slash Michael. If you wrote a Hollywood script, you took it to a big pro- a studio producer 
in Los Angeles. She said, here's my script of a completely propagandistic news media that all they ever do is shill for the dominant regime. And you brought them this headline in this context, gas going through the roof, cost of everything going up, 40-year record high inflation. And you brought them the headline, America just got a $100 a month raise. Thank you, Biden, for, for these, gas, these gas prices that you can see with your own eyes and you got to pay for them out of your wallet. They're really, secretly, they're really low because two plus two equals five. You'd be laughed out of the room. They would say it's two on the nose. You got to, you got to cut it out. Americans can tell, okay? The joke is not on us. They think the joke is on us. They're in the editorial room, tee hee hee. Let's convince, let's convince all those hoi polloi idiots that actually the gas is cheaper. Tee hee hee, we'll pull the wool over their eyes. No, the joke's not on us. They are the joke. CNN is the joke. They're the punchline, okay? Americans recognize this stuff. They are sick of the propaganda. That is why we cheer when CNN's ratings go down. That's why we cheer when one of the most, one of the least bearable, I was going to say most unbearable, but I get one of the least bearable, most tedious figures on CNN, Brian Stelter, just got canned. And it brought back this, this montage that tells you everything you need to know about our establishment press. This brand new research by Gallup says American trust in the mass media is at its lowest point since 2016 and near a record low overall. Jeff Zucker has announced his immediate resignation as the president of CNN. This comes amid an investigation into what Jeff Zucker calls a consensual relationship. What happened and where CNN goes from here? You were caught masturbating on camera. You since then have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right. Sad to say. The biggest media story this weekend, it's the firing of Chris Cuomo from this network, CNN. Late Wednesday, a lawyer contacted CNN with a sexual misconduct complaint about Cuomo. Joining me now, the man who accused Don Lemon of sexual assault. His accuser claims Lemon started rubbing himself. But the even bigger point, I think, is about what the press is. Is it produced by reporters or by repeaters? Repeaters are the talk radio shouters. They're on TV and radio telling the same story every day. President Trump. President Trump. President Trump. 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 Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Telling the same story every day. Same story every day. So what are, are we the reporters or the repeaters? Obviously the people at CNN are the repeaters. They repeat whatever the regime wants them to say. And occasionally Occasionally, they have to face some consequences from that because the people can recognize that this is all ridiculous. They can see right through it. Not just because they go to the gas pump and they realize, wait a second, I'm not saving money on gas. CNN lied to me. I'm actually spending a lot more money on gas. That's not the only reason. I think the other reason that people started to wake up to just how terrible the establishment media is, is because of the internet. Because there was a period where people really did trust the establishment press, those three news networks that you would get on TV. They would trust Walter Cronkite. I don't know why they did. Walter Cronkite was a radical leftist. He was a member of the World Federalists. He was he, he lost us the Vietnam War. <laughs> he, the guy was not balanced, not moderate, not centrist at all. He was far on the left. And yet people said, oh, I trust Walter Cronkite. And now people say, whatever happened to Walter Cronkite? Even some of the other ones later on in the 80s and the 90s. Tom Brokaw, I trusted Tom Brokaw. These days, though, I don't know. What changed? Is it that the news anchors changed? 
No, I think it's that technology changed. I think the biggest reason that people no longer have any faith in the establishment press is not even, not even that the, the anchors changed all that much. It's that people can now go on the internet and look it up. When you hear something from the establishment press, instead of back in the old days, say before the mid-90s, when you'd hear it, and maybe you'd say, huh, that doesn't sound quite right, but anyway, I have no idea of figuring out if it's true or not, so okay, do-do-do, moving on with my life. Now, after the internet, you can say, hold on, wait, gas is cheaper now under Joe Biden? Oh no, obviously it's not. It's actually 65% more expensive. Okay, and this is true even for political issues that are less obvious than the price of gas. This is why Dr. Fauci has had a very tough time over the past few years. Dr. Fauci has been in office for 40 years now. He's outlasted, what, seven U.S. presidents? I think he's on number seven right now with Joe Biden. He's the highest paid federal employee, even though his record is one of absolute failure, deception, intentional lies, incompetence, screw-ups, going all the way back to AIDS, all the way up through the 90s, especially right after the war on terror, he blew a bunch of money on anthrax, didn't get a new anthrax vaccine, a ton of misadventures in Africa. We haven't even gotten to COVID yet. Then he lies about where he was, the funding for COVID, the type of research that created COVID, most likely, gain-of-function research. He said we had nothing to do with that. We had nothing to do with the Wuhan Institute. We find out he funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute. Then he was wrong about the I mean, I could go on all day about Dr. Fauci. How, how is it, though? that only now he's getting called out for this stuff. It's not because Fauci changed. It's not even because the American people changed. I think it's just technology. We can go back. There was a clip that was going around this weekend of Dr. Fauci from some 20 years ago. He was on the C-SPAN show, Washington Journal. I myself was on that show just a couple of weeks ago. And Fauci, in his guidance on, on a flu vaccine, contradicted his guidance on the COVID vaccine. She's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And so she if, not she get re- it? if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. Next, if she really has the flu. She right. should not get it again. No, she day. doesn't need it because the, it's, the be- it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. I don't know how clear I can be here. You do not need a vaccination if you have been infected. Generally, just generally speak, you get infected, that's the best vaccination until I want you to take my Fauci ouchie shot. And then never mind, don't listen. Don't listen to that man. What are you talking about, that man? I'm you, Dr. Fauci. Shut up, you. I don't want, you don't mislead these people. I want them to take my shot. And so he, he's obviously contradicting himself on the chief central guidance of COVID, of the past two years, which was, I don't care if you've been infected. I don't care if you've been infected twice. You have to get the shot. The shot will keep you from getting infected. The shot will keep you from transmitting. It turns out neither of those things were true either. What changed? Technology. Now we can go back and we see it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it cracks that entire veneer, that entire facade of credibility. People know better, but you know who doesn't know better? College kids. We really need to be able to uh, to get some sleep. I know our blood pressure is all going crazy here, you know, with all this mania in our political system. But when you want to sleep, you got to check out Helix Sleep, okay? Right now, head on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles because I want to invite you into my boudoir. That's right. I've had my Helix mattress for two years now, and I adore it. 
Helix has several different mattress models to choose from. They got soft, medium, firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-sized sleepers. They've got a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you sleep on a mattress made for someone else? That doesn't make any sense. Sit down with your wife or your hubby. Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for you and your spouse. They got a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They will even pick it up for you if you don't love it. You will love it. They've got over 12,000 five-star reviews. Their financing options and flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 350 bucks off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. This is their best offer yet, so hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. Americans might know better. College students do not know better. There's a new poll out. This is from NBC News Generation Labs. Surveyed a thousand, more than a thousand sophomore college students. Survey revealed almost two-thirds of college Democrats would not room with a Trump supporter. 62%. So they probably would not or definitely would not room with someone who supported Trump in 2020. What's the number for Republicans? Less than half of that. Only 28% of college Republicans say they would refuse to room with a Dem someone who voted for Biden in 2020. What's the reasoning here? Well, here's what the Dems said. They interviewed some of the people who participated in the survey. Democrat kid says, quote, I could never live with someone who supported a racist, homophobic, xenophobic, and sexist person. I could possibly room with somebody who is a Republican. But when it comes down to it, Donald Trump is not the average Republican candidate. So this kid is saying that same thing that all of the extremely closed-minded liberals who want to seem open-minded because that's one of the values that they pretend to appreciate. Uh, what, what they say is, look, I, I'm open-minded. I could be friends with a Republican. Just not a Republican who ever supports any winning candidate. <laughs> but if you support, I don't know, Liz Cheney or something, then, okay, then maybe, maybe if you're a Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney Republican, I'll still probably hate your guts, but maybe I'll talk to you. So they interview the Republican kid. A Republican kid says, Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my my sort of nice moderate wants to sound kind of acceptable college Republican. Uh, a person's political views do not affect whether or not I would have a friendship or relationship with them. Many of my friends have vastly different political views than I do, but I do not let that affect our friendship. And I don't I don't mean to make fun of this hypothetical kid because that's the nicer thing to say. That's the more reasonable thing to say. Of course. You should, if you get assigned, you've got a Democrat in your dorm or whatever, you should be able to get along. We're all Americans, right? Well, actually, on college campuses, there are a ton of foreigners. But you, Matt, we're talking about people here who voted in 2020. Well, I guess some foreigners probably voted in 2020. But in any case, let's say for the sake of argument, we're all Americans. We should be able to get along, even people who voted for the other party. On the surface, this is crazy. On the surface here, the Republicans got it right, Democrats got it wrong. However, though it is crazy to refuse to, to room in college for a year or two with someone who has different political views, it is normal to prefer to live with people who have a similar general view of the world that you do. That is normal. The lib here 
is in a very crazy, extreme, backwards way, actually articulating a pretty reasonable concept, which is which is unity is our strength. <laughs> That's really what they're saying. Even though the libs love to say diversity is our strength, no one actually believes that. Unity is our strength. Doesn't mean you can't include people of different backgrounds. Doesn't, it's not a racial thing. It's not a sexual thing. It's not a whatever, you know, it's not a, I don't know, geographic thing. But you do want to have, you want to have more in common with the people that you spend your time with than less. Of course you do. That's, that's what makes a community, is things in common. <laughs> so yeah, actually the, the Democrat here in a kind of bizarro way is espousing a more normal point of view. You want to, you don't want just total uniformity, but you want to share a, some basic premises with people. And, and that can lead to much more fruitful conversation. If you get a bunch of people in the room who don't share any basic premises at all, let's say you get a bunch of people in the room and they don't even speak the same language, are you going to have a fruitful conversation? No. If you get a bunch of people in the room who agree on basic stuff, what life is kind of, what, what the purpose of society is kind of, uh, really basic aspects of human nature, you are much more likely to have a fruitful conversation and learn from one another. The Democrats get that. The Democrats who preach that we need all sorts of diversity and nothing in common and no standards whatsoever, they, the, in practice, what they say is, no, you all have to agree with us. We need to have some things held in common. And ironically, that's a very conservative point of view. The conservatives used to know that before the conservatives bought the, the BS from the Dems, hook, line, and sinker, sinker back in the 60s when the Democrats upended all the standards and norms and traditions. There's actually something to learn here. The Republicans have to be willing to room with Democrats because there are only like seven Republicans on any college campus. And the Democrats have the political advantage of being able to ostracize and exclude people because they are the vast majority, 90% plus of college campuses. But maybe we can learn something from them. Maybe actually we need to be a little more muscular in setting standards and norms of behavior and saying, no, we're not going to allow your crazy BS to come in and destroy our society. Speaking of ostracism of conservatives on campus, there's a very nice piece published by FIRE, the uh, Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. And it was on this, this hubbub that occurred with little old me, little old me, whom everybody loves, at the University of St. Thomas uh, some months ago. Apparently, I had been invited to the University of St. Thomas. I actually didn't even really know very much about this invitation. And then the school unbeknownst to me, refused to let me come speak. And the irony of it is that the University of St. Thomas is a Catholic school, and they wouldn't let me come speak because I hold Catholic views on the social issues. Abortion, transgenderism, sex, all this kind of stuff. Because I hold to Catholic teaching, they wouldn't let me on campus because they wanted me to hold to liberal teaching. And so FIRE, the Individual Rights and Education Group, as a headline, University of St. Thomas promises free speech, yet practices censorship by denying college Republicans' request to host Michael Knowles. First paragraph. The University of St. Thomas harmonizes free speech with its religious mission, laudably promising to give its full blessing to students' expressive rights as part of its Catholic identity. Yet, when the university's college Republicans chapter sought to make good on the promise by requesting to host political commentator Michael Knowles, St. Thomas rejected the request because administrators didn't like his views, thereby betraying the school's commitment to free speech by violating the group's right to host 
conservative speakers. In Fire's June 28th letter to St. Thomas, we explained how the university's viewpoint-based rejection of Knowles violates students' expressive rights to host sinful, satanic, or even blasphemous speakers. So I want to put a pause there. I am actually grateful to Fire for defending me and yelling at St. Thomas for rejecting me. But uh, respectfully, that's not what happened. The, the school's rejection of me coming to campus did not violate students' rights to host sinful, satanic, or blasphemous speakers. Thank you very much. Uh, no, I, gosh, with a defense like this, who needs opponents? <laughs> and I, I see what they're trying to say. Fire is trying to say, you have a right to say anything you want on campus. But one, no, you don't. And that's a very extreme libertarian view, but it's it's not true. You don't have a right to say whatever you want on campus. But two, the content of my speech is not sinful or satanic or blasphemous. It's the opposite, actually. The school rejected me because my speech was not sinful or satanic or blasphemous. The school rejected me because my speech was the opposite. It was a Christian speech. It was informed by Catholic principles. And the Catholic school rejected me because the Catholic school has become sinful, satanic, and blasphemous because they prefer liberalism and leftism to Christianity. The the conservatives have fallen into a big, big trap here, okay? Free speech absolutism. I wrote a whole book on this, so I won't belabor the point. Free speech absolutism is not a conservative value. Academic freedom is not a conservative value. It it never has been. Those were always left-wing values. The modern conservative movement began with William F. Buckley Jr. writing a book called God and Man at Yale, The Superstitions of Academic Freedom. In that book, he called academic freedom a hoax. The Catholic school has every right and frankly obligation to not allow certain ideas on campus, to tell teachers, no, you're not allowed to teach nonsense. People go to a Catholic school to get a Catholic education. All education has to have limits and has to be somewhat coercive because you've got to teach kids something. That's the point. You go into college, theoretically ignorant, and then you come out and you're supposed to know certain things and have a certain view of the world and be educated, which means brought up. Now, usually what happens is the opposite. Kids go into college knowing a lot of stuff, and then they leave more ignorant than they left. And this is actually even backed up by certain social scientific surveys. But it's also backed up by common sense. We all know that that happens. So, and no, you can't teach everything. You can't have a school that teaches at the same time two plus two equals four and two plus two equals five. You can't at the same time have a school teach that good stuff is good and also that good stuff is evil. You can't, you can't have those two things. You've got to pick. You've got to have limits here. So I, pr- I appreciate the defense from fire. I really do. I, 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 tactically, I'm really glad they're defending me. But the reasoning that they're using here is not, not correct. Now, I want to talk... I want to talk about something I talk about a lot on this show. You know the squishes? I always talk about, I'm talking about the Adam Kinzingers, the former, the former Congress ladies of the world, such as Liz Cheney, the, the uh, gelatinous uh, rhino invertebrates who disintegrate under the very slightest pressure. It's the kind of behavior you would never dream of engaging in or modeling for your son or daughter. And yet, the numbers are in. Most of you squished this very morning. In fact, some of you are squishing right now. Whoa, Michael, that's a slap in the face. Hold up, maybe, maybe, but it's not for me. If you are still 
not shaving with a Jeremy's razor, and you're still using one made by a company that has called you toxic, you are the one shaming yourself, okay? You're shaming yourself here, and you are funding the neo-Marxist gender ideologues who wish that you would just disappear down a drain under your unwanted stubble. Do not squish on your values. Switch to Jeremy's Razors. Get your Founders Series Shave Kit today. Go to jeremysrazors.com, jeremysrazors.com. The thesis of my book that came out a year ago is that conservatives are wrong about free speech. We actually need to put many more limits on free speech. We bought all the libs, stupid arguments about academic freedom and the total, I'm an absolute free speech defender, whatever. And it was all lib stuff and it's totally messed us up and we got to get rid of it. And that was the thesis of my book a year ago. And I'm not saying it was prophetic. Okay, I'm not saying that I told you so. I'm not saying it was an example of Nostradamus with his crystal ball. But this is becoming the issue right now. And you're seeing it, especially down in Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis passes this great law to put those ideas into practice in Florida schools and say, no, there's no such thing as academic freedom here. There's no such thing as free speech absolutism. You don't get to teach critical race theory in our schools. You don't get to teach the weird gender stuff to the little kids. We're going to put limits, okay? And the squishes are furious about this. David French, who was a kind of conservative columnist, fairly prominent one, always a little more on the libertarian side. Now I think he's pretty firmly a liberal or left-wing commu- uh, columnist. <laughs> I'm a say communist. Freudian slip. No, he's clearly center left at least, but he's he's attacking DeSantis for this. And he says, the DeSantis attack on the first amendment illustrates how the word conservative lost meaning. For 20 plus years, conservatives attacked campus speech codes, upholding free speech as a core value. Now DeSantis passes his own speech codes and it's conservative to support them? Yes. Yes, it is. You got it, David. You figured it out. And by the way, I got to give David credit here. He even admits that the idea of free speech absolutism and academic freedom as a conservative value is only about 20 years old. That's what he says. He says for 20 plus years, conservatives were really against campus speech codes and were really against uh, these incursions on standards and and, uh, norms, or rather the, the creation of these standards and norms. Right. What about more than 20 years ago? Did conservatism just get invented 20 years ago? No, it's a much longer tradition. Even post-war conservatism has been around for 70 years. And the conservative tradition is many centuries old. And for virtually all of that time, conservatives have not been the defenders of saying whatever you want, whenever you want to say it in any context. No way. Conservatives are the defenders of chivalry and the truth and virtue and education, which necessarily requires limits. That's what it's about. David is admitting here that it was these squishes or the hyper super duper libertarians or whatever you want to call them who are the ones who perverted conservatism. And that's gone on for about 20 years and it's been a complete disaster. And then you saw a reaction against that from the actual conservatives. You saw, you saw a reaction against that. Really, the, the Trump candidacy is a reaction against that kind of perversion of conservatism. And now the, the squishes who who have been pushed to the side again, they've all left and now they've sided with the libs. I'm glad. We're returning to normal. Nature is healing. Nature is healing. That's what they said during COVID. Nature is healing. The, the conservatives are returning to standards and norms. We, we were the virus. Yeah. DeSantis, by the way, absolutely crushing it. Forget about the 
education stuff. Forget about the curriculum reform. Ron DeSantis just announced the arrest of 20 election fraudsters going back to the 2020 election. Governor Ron DeSantis, here we are, the press release right here. In 2020, Florida ran an efficient, transparent election that avoided the major problems we saw in other states. At the same time, the election was not perfect, which is why we continue our efforts to ensure the integrity of our elections. Our new election crimes office, love that, election crimes office, has sprung into action to hold individuals accountable for voter fraud. Today's actions send a clear signal to those who are thinking about ballot harvesting or fraudulently voting. If you commit an election's crime, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Love that. It's just so weird that he would prosecute these 20 people because I was told there there was no election fraud. The libs reliably told me that there was no election fraud in 2020. So how are these 20 people being prosecuted by the election crimes division? In Florida, which was a state that really didn't have a lot of election problems, Certainly not like Georgia, not like Pennsylvania, not like Wisconsin, where there's all sorts of weird stuff. And the election officials violated the state constitution in the case of Pennsylvania, and where people were not allowed, the the election poll watchers were not allowed to look at the count going on, and the counting just oddly stopped in the middle of the night, went on for weeks then afterward. It's just a lot of weird stuff. What's that about? What's so great here is that DeSantis is doing all the right things politically, on all those regular political issues, on education, on transing the kids, on pro-life. He could maybe move a little further on pro-life, but he's moving in that direction. On woke corporations, when he took on Disney, he's doing the right thing on all of these political issues. But election fraud, that is a meta-political issue. That's the politics of politics. That's the rules about how our political system actually works. Because let's say you get all the people on your side on all of those regular political issues, but you've got election fraud. You don't have integrity in your electoral system. Well, then all that popularity and a buck 50 will get you a cup of coffee. It doesn't really matter. In Biden's economy, you need $5 to get a cup of coffee, but the premise is the same. The point is the same. If you don't If you don't have a stable political order where the rules are clear and everything's fair and square, then it doesn't matter how many people you went over to your side because the cheaters are going to rig it all the time. So DeSantis is going in there. And this is really important too, because right now it looks like Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee in 2024, especially after the Mar-a-Lago raid. And some Trump supporters are criticizing DeSantis for not coming out strongly enough against it. He tweeted about it. He said it was awful. He said it was banana Republic stuff. But the Trump supporters want want action, especially because Trump and DeSantis seem to be the leading candidates right now in 2024. So for DeSantis to make this an important political issue for him is a, is a great appeal to a lot of Trump voters. Because, and this gets back to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and all this nonsense, your view of what happened in 2020 is a good indicator of what you believe about politics generally. If you insist that 2020 was the most secure election ever, it was totally kosher, above board, there was no rigging, there was no fraud, there was no nothing, how dare you deny the election? If you say all that stuff, you are either a lib or a squish. You are not, I don't know any serious conservative who really says that. If you admit, okay, 
Yeah, they changed all the rules. You don't need to go all the way to Dominion voting machines rigged it or, you know, aliens from outer space or anything. You can, if you just observe, I think the undeniable fact that the libs changed all the rules beforehand and got caught doing some shady stuff on election day too, or or rather election month because they extended it. If you, if you admit that, I think you're probably a little bit more on the conservative team here because that obviously happened. There was fraud. There was rigging. Of course there was. And DeSantis is saying that too. We got to get that in order. Why did the Republicans lose the Georgia Senate races? Remember there was on election day, those, the two Republicans, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, they lose in, in Georgia, but then there's this kind of runoff election just a few weeks later. And a lot of Republicans didn't show up. Some people blame Trump for that because he was contesting that. And he said, it's useless. Forget about the vote. But he did then encourage people to go out and vote. Regardless, conservatives were depressed and discouraged. And they said, oh, I guess my vote doesn't really matter because the people conducting these elections are ignoring a lot of the rules or changing the rules. So you've got, it is, it is priority number one, really more than any of the individual issues to say, we need to trust our election system. And you know how you have faith in your election system? You take the people who break the, the rules on elections and you throw them in the can. That's how you have faith in it. And frankly, even more than these people who committed election fraud themselves, I want the ballot harvesters. I want the Democrat operatives. I want, if they in any way violated any law, including jaywalking, I want the book thrown at them. Because they are, frankly, the bigger problem even than the people that allow this stuff, uh, that allow themselves to be used for the purposes of election fraud. It's so important because the issue, the issue when it comes to the, the election stuff is not what decision should we make about this issue or that issue. The, the question becomes, who makes the decisions? Americans know better. Americans know a lot better than this, okay? If you talk to the elites, really in both parties, but especially in the Democrat party, and you tune into all the establishment news, you're going to hear illegal immigration is great. Nobody's illegal. It's not even illegal. I mean, it's against the law, but they're future undocumented Americans, and they're our strength. And that, oh, we need more of that diversity, even though the, the blue city mayors, when Texas ships all the illegal aliens up to them, they say, no, we don't want this. This is a strain on our resources, but send them to Texas. It's our strength. We, want, we need more of that. More, we have 2 million a year. Let's get 3 million or 5 million a year. The majority of Americans say otherwise. According to an NPR Ipsos poll, the majority of Americans consider illegal immigration to be an invasion, an invasion. In response to the statement that the situation at the southern border represents an invasion, the majority of respondents said yes. 28% answer that that statement is completely true. 25% say that statement is somewhat true. There was one time I got into a real debate with a conservative friend of mine over the use of the word invasion. I said, obviously, what's going on at the southern border, it just, it is an invasion. He said, oh, wow, that's outrageous. That's hyperbolic. That's not, it's not true. You shouldn't say that. I said, what, what's not true about it? What's an invasion? An invasion is when a large number of people make an incursion into another group of people's territory. That's what's happening. You don't need to have a formal uniformed army to invade something. You just go. Just a large group goes and goes into someone else's territory. That's an invasion. I don't, how, I don't know how else to describe what's going on at the southern border. And you will hear from the 
elites on NBC and CBS and New York Times or whatever, they're going to say, you can't use that language. That's the extreme fringe, fascist, neo-Nazi, racist, all the stuff they call us. That's, the, that's what they say. No, actually, that's what the majority of Americans say, according to a poll from NPR, a very left-wing outlet. Everyone agrees. Poll after poll after poll. There was a poll now, probably four or five years ago, from Harvard-Harris poll that came out, and it asked what Americans thought about the number of immigrants who should be coming in. The majority of respondents said that we should not only not increase the number of immigrants who come in, but that we should drastically decrease the number of immigrants. Not just the illegal immigrants, the legal immigrants too. Because don't forget, we've got two million illegal immigrants crossing this year. It'll probably be actually a lot more than that. We also have a million legal immigrants who come in. The vast majority of respondents who were not told what the immigration levels actually are. They were just asked, what would you like the level to be? 200,000, 500,000, a million, two million. Vast majority wanted to drastically reduce the number of immigrants. So everyone basically agrees on this. Why does nothing get done? Why does nothing get done? Because there's a difference between what the people want and how they would govern themselves if they were in control and what the what the regime gets to do. And when we use that word regime, I'm not just talking about Joe Biden. I'm not just talking about the Democrats. I'm talking about the way that political power is actually exercised in America, which is different than what the Constitution says. And it's different from what you learn in Schoolhouse Rock. And it involves a lot of other interests that you don't see laid out in your civics class. It involves the Chamber of Commerce and it involves the, a, a weird collection of the media and international institutions and the financial sector and a, a lot of people who represent different trade interests and uh, entrenched bureaucrats and academia, all of that together. The majority of the American people want something on such a basic issue as who gets to come into the country, and yet it never gets done. It never gets done. Why is that? Well, because we need to pay more attention to the meta-political issues. Who has power how is that power exercised? Speaking of invasions, there is a crazy story coming out of Russia that's not getting nearly enough play. Daria Dugina, the 29-year-old daughter of a very prominent Russian philosopher, she was assassinated over the weekend. She died after the SUV that she was driving exploded 20 miles west of Moscow. Uh, the SUV was not her own. The SUV belonged to her father, Alexander Dugan, who is a philosopher, fairly well-known, and he's gotten a lot of publicity in the West. And in the West, they, they refer to him as the Putin's brain, as the basically the secret puppet master behind Vladimir Putin's regime. I don't know that that's a fair description. Actually, if you look at Alexander Dugan's role on the ground in Russia, I don't, I don't think that's really fair at all. He was pulled out of his professorship at a university by the political powers. There's, I don't think there's any evidence he's even met Vladimir Putin. You don't see a real long correspondence between the two men. So it, it may be the case that his role in the Putin regime is being exaggerated, but Alexander Dugan is very much in favor of the invasion of Ukraine. Alexander Dugan is very much in favor of a much more muscular Russian foreign policy. So there's no doubt about that, that there is some alignment, although apparently he and he and Putin have had differences of opinion as well. Dugan's even criticized Putin. Either way, do we defend this kind of stuff? We don't know who killed, who was trying to kill Dugan probably, and who ended up killing his daughter. It could have been 
could have been Ukraine or Western allies, though Ukraine is denying it. It could have been Russians who were anti-Putin. Could have been domestic Russians who, who are anti-Putin. I don't really know. I'm not, and I don't have the expertise for it. And I'm not, that's not even what I'm most interested in. The thing that I'm most interested in is the reaction from some of the commentariat here in America. Because ironically, the people who most seem to, to argue against these things in the abstract, the people who are most, who most likely to condemn political attacks on philosophers or commentators or journalists, uh, Alexander Dugan's daughter, Daria, was a political commentator of, of sorts herself. They're the ones most likely to embrace it in practice. And there's a woman who's written for the Washington Post and the New York Times, Julia Ioff, who was retweeting someone else who was quoting a verse of the Bible. And uh, she tweeted out about this. He who sows the wind shall reap the whirlwind. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. A photo of Alexander Dugan, author of the Russian world ideology, driving Putin's armies in Ukraine at the scene of the explosion that ripped up the car he was supposed to be in and killed his daughter and said, Really dark stuff because you see the guy, he's looking, his hands on his head. Could you imagine? Regardless of what you think about Russia or Ukraine or war or no matter how awful you think this guy is, this man is witnessing people blow up his daughter. Almost certainly because they don't like his politics. And he's watching that happen. And you have liberal journalists basically giggling about it. What happened to the sacred right of free speech? What happened to the free marketplace of ideas? What happened to we, would ne- we should never attack writers or commentators or philosophers, certainly? What happened to all of that? Well, no, but we don't like this guy. This guy's really bad. He's the, he's, look, look at what Julia Ioff says. She goes, he, his ideology is driving Putin's armies in Ukraine. What? I don't even know that that's true. But this guy, whatever you think of this guy, you might say he's got the worst ideology in the whole wide world. But you, he's not the one launching the armies into Ukraine. Go, you you want to blow up Putin? Go blow up Putin. This guy's he's a writer. And yet you've got the very liberals who defend that free marketplace of ideas. They're the ones, as always, as always, because we know in practice that the libs don't believe any of that crap. The only people who believe that stuff about the sacred free marketplace of ideas where you have the right to say whatever you want, however blasphemous, however this, however that. It's just the, it's the conservatives who got hoodwinked. It's just the squishes who believed the liberal propaganda in the 1960s and, and then conceded everything and surrendered and let the libs take over society. Would you defend this? I don't think so. I don't think people would defend blowing up a writer's daughter. I don't think so. Speaking of coercive liberalism, this story, this is really spooky. This is a Daily Wire exclusive. Vanguard is, I think it's the largest provider of mutual funds in the world, second largest provider of ETFs after BlackRock, which also has gone just as woke as Vanguard. Vanguard just had a training that they subjected their employees to. Vanguard has $7 trillion of assets under management. When Vanguard says they want something, the companies under management generally do it. And Vanguard had a diversity, equity, and inclusion training to uh, get all of the white men associated with Vanguard and the companies that it invests in to get on board with the woke philosophy. This research that I'm about to present to you is actually an act of 
accidental exclusion or active inclusion, depending on how you look at it, in terms of us really ensuring and partnering with some of the leading companies in the field to ensure that white men, white male managers are actively included in the DEI conversation. And that's the piece of research and that's the critical lever that we're here to talk about today. Engaging white male managers and advancing diversity and inclusion. We partnered with, as I mentioned, some of the foremost thinkers in the DEI field and are so thrilled at Vanguard for being one of our leading sponsors. I'm going to translate that from all that woke gibberish that you just heard. When she says they need the white men in the middle management, they need to be actively included to get on board. What that means is that the companies need to force the white guys into a re-education camp, presumably one being led by this woman. She says the white men need to be held accountable. There's clear expectations set for DEI prioritization, engagement, and outcomes. There's clarity on how both senior leaders and middle managers will and should be held accountable. That we reinforce accountability through performance management process and feedback channels. Sort of added commentary here, I would say, just like we do for business results that are so important, right? We need accountability through the feedback channels. And just like we have for their actual productivity, we're going to do that for this woke ideology. The translation is fire the white guys if they don't pledge fealty to this new woke racial hierarchy that people like this crazy lady are pushing. And then finally, finally, you have the insistence by Vanguard that white men be held to uncomfortable criticism. Do be aware of implicit biases and work to understand your blind spots. This is one of the ways that inclusion training can help us all. No, I'm sorry. Do learn how to listen and accept criticism with grace, even if it's uncomfortable. A growth mindset principle in many ways is if you're growing, it's likely uncomfortable. This isn't supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. This isn't supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard, especially to those white men. The, the translation here is the white guys are going to be held to a different, harsher standard, and we're all supposed to go along with this. Okay, this is being pushed, not by the government even. This is being pushed by what we what we call the, the regime, the blob, the establishment, the power structure. It's being pushed by a company with $7 trillion in assets under management. When they say they want something like this, they get it from their companies. This is what conservatives have to push back against. And if all conservatives can offer is what the same kind of platitudes they've offered for the last 20 years, which is just get the government out of my life, just less government, then we're not going to do anything because the power that's really being wielded in our society is being wielded largely outside of the government by the propagandists in the media, by the insane ideologues in corporate America, by all, by the lunatics in academia. That's where it's being wielded. Some people get it that we've got to fight them on those grounds. That we've got to, that's what DeSantis is doing with the education bill in Florida, that you see attacks on woke, corpor on, on woke corporations for that matter too. That's going to be the way of the future. If we do not lean into that, we will not conserve a damn thing. 
The rest of the show is continuing now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, okay, in the special member block where we get rid of the hoi polloi, it's just us. It's very exclusive with the creme de la creme where we can speak a little bit more freely than we can on certain social media channels. Uh, if you're not going to join us there, I don't know. I can't help you, man. You're not going to make it. Click the link in the description below. Join us. We'll see you over there.